Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nasalli ala rasulil kareem amma ba'ad. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings on the Prophet, may peace be upon him. And for some reason there's some people who can't seem to get into the class. Okay, now it should work. Okay, so so once again, just a reminder. Uh, did y'all receive that email for the Ahmed of Zal class? Um, you did? Okay, good. All right. And so, so if you haven't done so, please fill out the... Yeah, Malahat? Yeah, I did not receive the email. Um, okay, I'll check. Okay, so... So, uh, what was I going to say? Okay, yeah. Um, if you haven't done so and you have received the email, please fill out the, that little form. And then uh, we'll have details, I believe, in that document for how to get into the class when we when we get to Saturday, inshallah. And uh, that class will be going through Reconstruction of Religious Thought in Islam by, by Muhammad Iqbal, which is a book from the 1930s very highly philosophical. Okay, so we've been speaking about wrong things people do regarding the unseen. Now prepare yourself for, brace yourself for the next thing we're going to be learning. Okay, so let me just open this. Okay, let's check how, how good and wonderful everyone's memory is okay either typing or texting please tell us preferably to us uh, i mean typing or speaking preferably speaking please tell us what is the ayah of the very first command anyone so yes what ayah is it I had 21. 21 is command one. Next command is I had 22. And then in 23 and 24, we have conditional commands. And then 25, we have command three. Okay, anybody, uh, can anyone remind us what is command number three? Anyone remember? I have 25. Yes, uh, give good news to those who believe and do right, that they will have gardens beneath which rivers flow. Good news to believers who are doing right. Command number two is to not knowingly make rivals to Allah. And then the conditional commands relate to doubt. Prescriptions for doubt. And now we are going to have command number four. So think about how big the distance is between the third and the fourth command. So let's take a look at the ayah itself. So, so first and foremost, who is it being addressed to? Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu. So one of the big questions we were discussing when we were in the previous course, Ayahs 40 to 74, was when we're looking at a command, the first question is who is being, whom is being addressed? And so, so there it was often, Ya Bani Israel, do this. Ya Bani Israel, don't do that. 
And so here, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu. So this is essentially the believers. La taqulu ra'ina wa qulu unzurna wasma'u. So, so in the literal translation, it is, oh, you who believe, don't say, look at me, say, look at me. Okay. I mean, that's essentially the, the, the literal translation. And listen. And so, so putting this into practice, what is this saying? Don't have this attitude with people. Don't have this disposition with people that you're trying to get their attention. Look at me. Rather, have this uh, uh, attitude and approach with people. Look upon me for how can I help you? And then listen to what they have to say. So, so in the first context, this is, this is the advice to how we conduct ourselves with the Prophet, peace be upon him. And then by extension, this is how we conduct ourselves with everyone. So if you think about it, the first command is our, it relates to our relationship with Allah. The second command relates to our relationship with Allah. And then the third command is our relationship with believers. And now our fourth command is our relationship with everybody. That the default relationship you should have with everyone is look upon me for how can I help you. And then listen. See if there is any way for you to help them. And then here with the juxtaposition, with the placing of side by side with this command, with the kafirs, what do we have? That an essence of the kafirs in this ayah is narcissism, right? Their approach is look upon me, you know, as meaning give me all of your attention. And not one of service. This is command number four. And so this now, in my suggestion is from this point forward, have the disposition that you are trying to fulfill this. Now, naturally, there's going to be limits to, to all this. You know, if we say, you know, an answer to everything in Islam is, is finding a balance. Like, just like we said for the third command, you know, you're not going to point out every single thing, every single right thing someone is doing and say, but Allah's reward, may Allah reward you. But make that your default, <coughs> your default approach with people. And so command number four. Which is with people. serve and seek to serve. This should be your default relationship with people. Now, of course, as is the case uh, with, with anything, there's uh, one extreme of this is that you are looking to serve everyone at the cost of your own well-being. And another extreme of this is that you're serving uh, people to the point of abuse uh, and such. So obviously we're not talking about that, but this should be your default approach with people, that you have a responsibility to them. Now, what we're also gonna see is at this point, we have not had any commands for nearly 80 ayahs. Now we're gonna start getting command after command after command. So this section, where on the one hand we're calling it causes and manifestations of rejection we're also seeing sort of level two foundations of the believers in terms of what believers need to do so let's go further <clears throat> another cause or manifestation of rejection ma uh, ma yawaddu I always have trouble pronouncing this. Ma yawaddu al-lathina kafiru min ahli al-kitab wal-mushrikina ayyunazila alaykum min khayra min rabbikum. So the English is pretty awkward, but essentially what are we saying here? That the ahli al-kitab, the kafirs in the ahli al-kitab and the mushriks would love for no good to fall upon you. They know not love for any good 
to come to you from Allah. But Allah Ta'ala sends, uh, sends his rahmah for whomever he wills. He's a possessor of, of the fadl azim, of this great, great bounty. Yeah. So we're going to see a whole lot of passages now about tribalism. And all of them are going to sound almost the same, except for just some details here and there. And so here, one of the consequences of tribalism is for the other team, you don't want any good to happen to their team. That's tribalism. That's a supremacy uh, outlook. The approach we should have is, number one, is to be comfortable with Allah being free to give of his bounty to whomever he wills. Right? Because that's, that's what's being addressed here. Allah Ta'ala is free to give his bounty to whomever he wills. And so the goal is for me to be comfortable with that. Because the opposite is for me to get jealous. As though, and we've talked about this in different ways, as though Allah Ta'ala has only 100 units of bounty to give to people. All right, he gave 10 to those people. That means there's less available for me. And he gave 20 to those people. That's less for me. And he gave 50 to those people. No, you and I know Allah Ta'ala's bounty is endless. So what am I losing if Allah gives up his bounty to someone else? I am not losing anything. But when you fall into this type of narcissism of tribalism, so tribalism is collective narcissism. And how do we define narcissism or arrogance? It's <clears throat> this overcompensation. It's this defense mechanism. So a supremacist theology, whether we're talking about white supremacy or Christian supremacy or Muslim supremacy or Zionism, etc., etc., what are we effectively saying? We're saying that because of this inferiority complex, you have arrogance and tribalism is collective arrogance. And so then as a part of that, as part of arrogance is you get jealous if Allah's bounty is given to others. So this is a collective jealousy. And you often see this, you know, when, when a group of people gets accused, you know, why are the people doing this? Why are they slaughtering this population? It'd be one thing to own up to it and say it's wrong, but very often, well, you know, look at those people. They're also doing it too. People will be deflecting just like hypocrites do. So this is yet another manifestation. This is now a collective manifestation of, of rejection. Tribalism. And then part of the tribalism is you don't want good to hit other people. Okay, so now we're going to pause on that, and we're going to address a different topic. And this is what, what uh, uh, Dr. Marlahat was talking about a number of classes ago. We're going to talk about abrogation. So the next few ayahs are about this idea of nasr, abrogation. And so what is abrogation? Abrogation is when you have something, and something else replaces it. Okay. So first, the ayah itself. We do not abrogate an ayah. Here it's translated verse, or cause it to be forgotten, except that we bring forth uh, one better or similar to it. Okay, do you not know that Allah is able to do all things? So in the previous ayah, we said Allah is free to give his bounty to whomever he wills. His bounty is unlimited. Here his ability is unlimited. And so abrogation. Let's talk about different types of abrogation. Alrighty. So Nasr Abru Abrogation. Okay. So off the top of your head, what are some types of abrogation? Um, do you not are you guys not able to see my screen? Uh, 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 this message it says, uh, are you able to see it? Yes, you are. Okay. okay. So, so what are some types of, of abrogation that we have 
in our tradition or history. Changing the Qibla is a good example. Yeah. So first, uh, we have the, 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 the Muslims in Medina are praying facing towards Jerusalem. And then in mid-prayer one day, they're redirected to pray facing towards Mecca. Uh, another one is, of course, yes, alcohol. The evolution of the ayats regarding the consumption of alcohol. Um, Sami meaning being allowed to fight. Uh, oh, okay, you mean in terms of the response to the kuffar? Yes, uh, that is another uh, another abrogation. What else? Hijab is also an abrogation. So some things are the formation of the tradition, where instructions are coming along. Uh, uh, through the course of those 23 years and such. You think of anything else? So we're all looking at the context of the Quran. What about not within the context of the Quran? Any thoughts? Because what is the first abrogation? So Rajan we'll talk about in a second. The first abrogation is the Prophet and the Quran abrogate all the previous books. That's the first uh, that's the one level of, of abrogation. And now keep in mind, the message is still the same. So what is essentially being abrogated? The Sharia of the past. So, uh, and I think we made this point before, that if you go through a modern copy of the Torah, especially if you go through Exodus and Leviticus, uh, from a Muslim perspective, you will find it to be so full of law um, and hard to make sense of these laws. And that's all abrogated by the Quran itself. Now, in the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, it was not an immediate abrogation. That it seems as though the default of the Prophet, peace be upon him, was to follow the law of Musa alayhi salam until Quran would abrogate specifics. And then by the end, now the Quran has abrogated everything. So that's one level. And then much more complex is the evolution of the Quran. And this we'll talk about uh, in detail. And so there's a couple types of evolution of the Quran. Uh, this I'll give it a whole a whole screen. One is the example we're all familiar with, which is the evolution of the ayat on alcohol. But this also includes, related to Iqbal's example, is there are ayahs that were temporarily part of the Quran and then are not part of the Qur'an anymore. So that we will talk about. Uh, what's another one? The Mus'haf of Osman abrogates all other copies of the Qur'an. And so what's interesting here is that, remember, we spoke about the Ahruf way back uh, early on, that the Prophet, peace be upon him, received an ayah, and then he goes to Jibreel, alayhi salam, I have people who recite differently. Uh, please give me another variation of this ayah. And Jibreel, alayhi salam, comes back to the Prophet, peace be upon him, and says, Allah has heard and answered your request. 
and gives gives another variation of the ayah. Good. So that we're familiar with. And so what is understood is many of those different readings have also gotten abrogated by Uthman's Mus'haf. Either they've gotten merged together or we don't have them anymore. Or, and this gets even more interesting, there's evidence that the Prophet, peace be upon him, may have taught a surah to a specific companion that is not in the Mus'haf. Think about this. Imagine if this was the first lesson, all of you would be like, oh my goodness, I can't handle this, right? That, that the Prophet, peace be upon him, he has taught as part of recitation certain things to certain companions that were never supposed to be part of the official Quran. And thus, a companion is taught something, but it is not considered part of the preserved Mus'haf of Usman. Has anyone here ever heard of Surat Al-Khal? Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Okay. And here's the really fun one. Ready? Ready? Ready to brace yourself? Okay. Each day abrogates the previous day. Completely different than one, two, and three. Okay, so let's go through. Let's go through each of these. I don't think number one needs very much of an explanation. I think we all get that, right? Does anyone need any explanation on this one? That there are. Once, uh, let's uh, do a quick review. How many? How many uh, prophets have there been, and how many messengers have there been uh, in our history? Throughout some numbers. And if you're wrong, then you should fail all the classes. Okay, very good. So 124,000 prophets and 313 uh, messengers, 313 kitabs. And if you ever forget that, that's not only the number of how many people were said to be fighting in the Battle of Badr, but it's also the area code of Detroit. Okay, so, you know, that's, you know, perhaps that's why there are so many Arabs in in 313. Okay, and so... So this is the first abrogation that, uh, again, I think we all understand that the Prophet, peace be upon him, and the Quran abrogate everything that came before. Now, the evolution of the Quran. So I know for some of you, this is going to be the first time you're ever hearing this. We have a couple types of abrogation, and this is all within the life of the prophet, peace be upon him. So first, let's. I'm going to speak of the Quran in two ways. Okay, ayahs. We're going to speak of them as recitation, and we're going to speak of them as command. And Laith, I saw you raise your hand, so uh, why don't you ask your question, inshallah. Um, so just clarifying uh, the first one, so the, uh, that the Prophet and the Quran uh, abrogate previous books and prophets, does that include um, truth claims made by other books uh, revealed to other prophets? What would be an example? Um, I mean, so the way that, for example, like Christianity approaches, uh, their Aqidah in terms of like oneness of God, can we, I mean, we would not consider that to be, you know, uh, revealed from Allah. We consider that to be, uh, uh, an innovation, wouldn't we? Hmm. Meaning, 
uh, from our perspective, what is the religion? Uh, no, from Christianity's perspective, what was the religion of Jesus? Peace be upon him. Uh, Jewish. Yeah. From our perspective, what was his religion? Muslim. Yeah. And like Moses. Oh, yeah, okay. Right. Thank you. Absolutely. Sure. Okay. <clears throat> so speaking about ayahs, I'm speaking about them two ways. One is the recitation and the other is the hukam. Okay the command, the instruction, or the prescription. In fact, let's use the word prescription. I'm just going to leave it as command, but I mean it's synonymous with prescription. And so, so the point here is that <clears throat> reciting the ayah that has a command in it, abrogation plays out in a couple of ways. So, so types of abrogation... Type A is that you uh, uh, you keep the recitation, but not the command. Meaning, an other ayah has come along where you follow its command. Uh, but you still recite the ayah. So this would be the case of the ayahs on alcohol. Okay. So what is the first ayah revealed regarding alcohol? Summarize, anyone can anyone can give us a summary of what it says? Give a hint, since we're all bucket up, although we haven't got to it. Something good in it and something bad. Yeah. Bad is more than a good. Yeah, that there's benefit in it, but there's sin, sin outweighs the benefit. Okay. So there's no instruction there. It's just saying, be aware that there's benefit in this, but the sin outweighs the benefit. Okay. And sin is also synonymous with harm. Okay. And then the second command. Don't approach you while uh, you are praying. Yeah, don't, yes. don't come to prayer intoxicated so you know what you're saying. Okay. So we still recite the first command. The first uh, or the first passage about alcohol, but we don't need it because now it's taken care of with the second one. Yeah. And then, of course, what's the third one? Are you gonna listen or not? Yeah, no, no, the third one is is what? Should it stop? Third one is that it's the filth of Shaitan. Don't come near it. Okay. And so, so if we're saying it's the first of the filth of shaitan, then the part that says don't come drunk to prayer is not necessary. Okay. So, Umar, I still recite it. I, I have a quick question. This is the only um, command came into like, in a gradually come to the command level, right? Yeah. Is there any other example? Fasting. Oh. Fasting is another one. You know, in fact, uh, let's look at fasting because all those eyes are together in, in the, the text of the Quran. So, so what is the first ayah on fasting right here? Ayah 183. So, oh, you who believe, prescribed for you is, is fasting the way it was prescribed for those before you, so that you may get taqwa. Okay, so that's the first instruction. And so what was the first practice of prescribed fasting? So already in the tradition in Mecca, what fasting before Islam did they used to do? Anyone? Ashura? Yeah, Ashura was one of the fasts that they just used to already do. This is part of the tradition. And then, as you know, the Prophet peace on him, comes to um, comes to Medina, and he says the Jews are fasting for Ashura, and and ask them why. And then uh, they say it's because this is the day that Allah saved Musa salam and his people. And then um, and so then the Prophet, you know, he recommends for us to fast uh, twice. So the 9th and 10th or the 10th and 11th of Muharram. 
And what then is developing? Then we're being prescribed to fast the three white days. That was required 13th, 14th, and 15th too, of each month. When? When Aya 184 comes down. Fast for a certain number of days. And then we have some instructions made about, about uh, you know, if you're sick or traveling, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And then what is the third fasting in the month of Ramadan? And if you see the moon, then you should be fasting. Okay. And so then that shifted those three white days from required status, what we would have called farad status, to nafal. And then now Ramadan became fard. So this is another example. Okay. So 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 there are actually uh, a number of examples throughout the Quran of, of this happening. Okay. In which uh, we have the ayah is kept, uh, the recess, recitation of the ayah remains, but another ayah comes along and overrides it okay. or includes it automatically, yet we keep reciting the first one. Okay. So that's, that's an easy one because we already, we already speak about this quite a bit in our community. Another one is now this is going to get a little bit tricky. You uh, don't keep the recitation. But you keep the command. Sure. Meaning it is not anymore a part of the text of the Quran. It was a, an ayah in the Quran. It was an ayah that the Prophet, peace be upon him, used to recite and the Sahaba used to memorize and practice. And then in the same lifetime of the Prophet, peace be upon him, he then removes it by instruction from Jibreel alayhi salam, but he keeps the command. And so one example of this is rajam, stoning. So uh, what surah is it? Is it uh, surah, al, uh, surah al-Nur, where we have the punishment for, for zina? Yes. Yeah. And so in surah al-Nur, what is the punishment for zina? Unlawful fornication. hundred uh, lashes. So it's lashes. Yeah, it's a hundred lashes. But that is, when we look in terms of the, the prescriptions of the Prophet, peace be upon him, that is for someone who's not married. The punishment for someone who's married is stoning to death. Dun, dun, dun. Yep, I have to give that big, scary, dramatic music. But, yeah. And so it is not part of the Quran, but it used to be part of the Quran. Now, how do we know these things used to be part of the Quran, or how do we know about these evolutions? This comes in the Hadith literature. Okay. And there's even Omar who is saying, we used to recite this, and I fear that this is going to be forgotten. Okay. And there's others which may not seem as much like a command. So there's this very, uh, there's this event um, after the Battle of Ahzab. Uh, uh, it's the event uh, of Bir uh, Mauna. Oh, no, no, maybe it's the Battle of Ahzab, where Allah Ta'ala sends down an ayah, speaking of being very pleased with the, with the believers for their efforts. Yeah. Simple ayah that used to be recited, but then got removed. Yeah. So even things that may not be as, as dramatic from, from, from our cultural perspective uh, are included here. So what would be a third possibility? looking at A and B in terms of removal. Remove both. Okay, so don't 
keep recitation. Don't keep command. So when I was being taught this stuff, the teacher was literally reciting the ayahs. I mean, I couldn't tell them any different from any other ayah. And so, so an example of this in regards weaning or breastfeeding. So what does the Quran say uh, if you open it up? And I think this is later on in the same surah, that if you're going to breastfeed, you should breastfeed for two years. Okay. If you're going to do it, but it should not be a hardship on the mother. It should not be a hardship on the father. Uh, but the previous instruction during the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, from Revelation was you had to breastfeed. And so that was a temporary ayah that is no longer recited and it's been, its ruling has been removed as well. So breastfeeding went from being required to an option. So that'd be the third type. Of course, the only thing that's missing in this list is you keep both, and that's the that's the other six thousand some verses of the Quran, right? But this is also part of. So try to imagine the evolution of the Quran in the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him. That in the formation of of that community, there are particular moments where they needed an ayah temporarily, that the ayah then gets expired. And when you go through the Hadith literature, you find all kinds of examples of this. I mean, all kinds. I'm not saying there's like 100, may not even be 50, you know, but there's, there's multiple examples of, of this. So on the one hand, one of the evolutions of the Quran is with the Ahruf. Yeah. And then on the other hand, another of the evolutions of the Quran is actual ayahs that are there temporarily and then removed until we have the final Quran with the Prophet, peace be upon him, before he died, meaning delivered by the Prophet, peace be upon him, as we have it today. Okay. Now, and I know a bunch of people ask questions. I just want to go through all these different types of abrogation. Um, we'll complete that and I'll get to the questions, inshallah. Uh, Unless there's something immediately related to this. Yeah, just a, just a quick, um, yeah. if you can just clarify while you're on this topic about that, uh, the difference between this and um, all this, um, the people like Taslima Nasreen and Salman Rushdie is writing based upon that, and they're using that as a base to write their their material, like satanic so, verses and all this. So Taslima Nasreen, okay, let, let's go to this uh, toward the end of the conversation, inshallah. Okay. Okay. So more. Uh, so that's essentially the second type of abrogation. Okay. Then we have the Mushaf, which is still part of the evolution of the Quran. But this is post-Prophet, peace be upon him. So this is the Mus'haf of Usman. Abrogating all copies. So you remember the first part of the story where after the death of the Prophet, peace be upon him, Abu Bakr is the Khalifa. And he is calling on Abu Bakr to have the whole Quran written out. Right? And Abu Bakr says, I can't do this. How can I do something the Prophet did not do? Peace be upon him. And Umar is saying, this is a khair. This is, this is good. There's good in it. In our language, it's a good bid'ah. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a good innovation. So it's all written out as 114 copies as opposed to a bound book. 114 copies mean one co one or 114 fol folios. You know, one is each surah. That's given to Hafsa to, to keep. And there's also other stories in terms of what happens to it. And then under Uthman, now we've gone from this community in the Arab Peninsula to this empire that spans east, west, and north. And, and so under Uthman, there's the need to standardize the text, standardize especially the script. And they go through a similar process. They write out the copies of it, and they keep six or seven that are sent throughout. But part of the challenge here is that there are some Sahaba 
<coughs> that have differences. So, for example, uh, Abdullah bin Masood, he has, a, he has his own mushaf, for lack of a better term, which does not include the last two surahs, does not include surah al surah al-falaq. And then, uh, I, uh, I forgot which companion it is, I want to say it is Ubay, uh, uh, not Abdullah bin Ubay, but uh, uh, it'll come back to me, inshallah. But who has what seem to be surahs that nobody else has. And, and so the challenge is, is to reconcile what is correct. Or why does Al-Fatiha not begin with Qul? Surat Al-Ikhlas begins with Qul. Surat Al-Nas begins with Qul. Surat Al-Kafirun begins with Qul. With qul. Al-Fatiha does not begin with Qul. Yeah. And, and so <clears throat> the Mus'haf of Usman is setting down a stamp. This is the authenticated copy. But to do that, there also has the need to figure out explanations for these, these other variations. Are they human error or what? So like Abdullah bin Masood, why is that taken so seriously? Because he was one of the closest of all companions to the Prophet, peace be upon him. And then what's understood is his recording is of what the Prophet taught him personally. I mean, imagine, you know, being in the company of the Prophet, he teaches you one surah. Abdullah bin Masood was taught 112 surahs. Yeah. And so, so there's explanations in some cases satisfactory, in some cases I think they're, they're kind of ambiguous, of, of trying to reconcile what are the differences that different sahabas have. Yeah. And then this is standardized. So, so why, uh, uh, what is then in terms of Sunni Islam, what is the evidence for why this is okay? Because if there was a problem, other companions would have spoken up. So keep in mind that Sunni Islam is what? It's the Prophet, peace be upon him, and the companions. And if the companions are doing anything different than the Prophet, peace be upon him, they are each other's monitor. So his becomes the official version. And removing the variations that different people may have had. So try to think of it from the opposite perspective. Because some of this, for some of you, might be shaking a little bit of your faith, your understanding of things. Maybe, maybe not. Um, hopefully, it's making it almost more real world. Imagine if this did not happen. If there was no standardization of the mushaf, then we could theoretically have different mushafs. Here's one that has 114 surahs. Here's one that has 116 surahs. Here's one that has 112 surahs. So, so this is one of the profound events of, of the history of Islam, as far as I'm concerned. And so it either incorporates or removes variations. And that is what is being memorized as far as we understand today. The last one is the funnest one because <clears throat> this requires an approach to how we look at life. And it's very easy to embrace this right away and ruin yourself with this. And so, in, in our theology texts, you know, what we call speculative theology, there's a very common notion that every moment of existence is recreated separately from the previous, previous moment of existence. And the easiest way to understand this is if you're 
looking at an old film strip. You know, those of you who are young, we used to have these things uh, called movies, and and the movies were were on these reels, and the reels had little tiny uh, squares of of images that would then get broadcast on on the screen. Yeah, Sami, that's part of my joke. Okay, anyway, so so. You know, then this TV thing came along. Anyway, so so if you look at a, at a at an old strip of film, it's a still image, still image, still image, still image, still image. But when you run them through the light, you get the illusion of motion. Okay. So one of the the, the big theories of existence is that every moment is individually created. You and I have this illusion that you know we've been going through life for however many decades but in the moment you're in it's this uh this illusion of memory in the present moment and there's all kinds of other fun fun things to explore about that it's a whole whole conversation on its own but one point to think about is apply that to the organization of what allah is giving you for each day of your life that what he is giving you tomorrow is equal to or better than what you had today. How? What do you think? Especially if you and I know that in my future, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be loss in my future, depending upon how long Allah wills for me to live. How is it? So one is possibly one day uh, 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 we get closer and closer to him. Yep. What else? So it's cumulative. Yeah, we're getting there now. It's cumulative. So each day incorporates the day before. So a way to think about this is, let's do the math. Uh, how many days old? Uh, each of you should do the math. You don't have to share with us to figure out how many days old you are. I'm sure there's probably a website that does this. Um, in fact, let's go explore together. Unnecessary to go this far, but let's just do it for fun. Just so I can be shocked by how old I am. Okay. How, how many days old am I? All right, one seven one, November twelfth. Okay. Okay. Seriously? Seriously? Okay. So, I'm seventeen thousand seven hundred twenty nine days old. Okay. Which means I have the life experience of seventeen thousand seven hundred twenty nine days. Tomorrow, I'm going to have the life experience, inshallah, of 17,730 days. So one way to understand this is that with each day, I have a small, a better skill in how to navigate life, just based on life experience alone. Of course, there might be things like Alzheimer's disease and all that stuff, you know, where my memory is, is wiping away that, I mean, those would be getting into the question of variations. But what we're saying here is that the default is that each day you are given is better than what you were given before or equal. Okay, so those are the big types of abrogation in our tradition. So, so let's get into some of the... The, the, the questions, inshallah. Well, I didn't realize there's that many people posting. Okay, let's see. So, um, could a case be made that the verse talking about multiple wives was abrogated because of the verse in Surah Nisa later that says you can't treat them equally after saying you can't take multiple wives if you can treat them equally? Uh, possibly. Um, I think one of the questions would be, when was one revealed, when was the other uh, revealed? Or we can make the argument that the first, uh, the first ayah at the beginning of the surah is speaking of a particular context, you know, in the context of when you have orphans and such. Uh, 
So I'd say it's a good thing, you know, like I've said to, to many people, uh, run with it as a thesis to see to see if it works. But it's uh, it's beyond my my knowledge in terms of the uh, the history of the evolution of the revelation of those ayahs. Um, uh, are algorithms or abrogations of type B meant to preserve the t uh, meant to be preserved textually or orally as well, even though not part of the Quran for reference based on uh, Omar's statement? So I forgot which one was type B. Type B was one of the command. Um, uh, Late, if you can remind us. Uh, it was don't keep the recitation, uh, but keep the command. Okay, so so explain explain your question then. Um, so I mean, is there was there ever any impetus to keep the actual texts or uh, I mean, just the structure of what those verses were, even though we're not keeping the recitation itself? Well, um, the, so since we are are keeping, keeping, I mean, so so the basic question becomes why, if the command is still there, why is the ayah not there anymore? You know, and for that, I got no answer for you. You know. Um, if, if it's still, if the prophet is still, peace be upon him, uh, teaching it as something that we have to do, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You know. Uh, I mean, this is something that I reflected upon. It could be uh, related to some sort of textual consistency or poetry or something like that, you know. But all of that is nothing but speculation. Uh, let's see, uh, Iqbal, the Quran would become the Bible. I think you're talking about what if we didn't have the standardization and we had all these variations. Uh, yeah. Uh, Abdullah, where does that theory come from? Which, which of the theories are we talking about? I've forgotten most of my sources for all this, but yeah. Number four. Oh, that, um, that's, uh, in the realm of the Sufis. And you have to say it that way, the Sufis. You have to like whisper. Anyway, okay. So, uh, it's cumulative. So each day in corpus day before, happy billionth second count. Uh, good deeds like teaching someone may also add up growth each day. Yeah, I'd say all that fits into into number four, inshallah. Uh, as to uh, Dr. Malahad's question, uh, 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 Salman Rushdie specifically, he's addressing. This is not in the realm of abrogation. This is the, the story of, of the satanic verses, you know, or what in modern times we call the satanic verses. Back then it was the ayahs of the cranes. And the story is basically that the prophet, peace be upon him, I feel like we may have talked about some of this before, but the prophet, peace be upon him, is receiving Surat al-Najm, and he's reciting Surat al-Najm. And then there's this point in Surat al-Najm where it speaks about the daughters of God, and then he is, the reports say that he said, these are high-flying birds and Allah is pleased with them. Yeah. And then in, this, in the narrations about the event, <clears throat> the Quraysh is that everyone's suddenly really happy. And then Jibreel comes to him and says, you recited something that I didn't give you. Yeah. And, and, and then after that, uh, there was a possibility when eyes were coming down for shaitan to interfere that was shut off. And we can read that two ways. One is that he recited something that Jibreel did not give. What's often easier for people to accept is he recited the surah, but in the Quraysh's ears, they heard something that he didn't say. And that would be not unlike in uh, the ayahs about the crucifixion of Jesus, peace be upon him, it says, it, it looked like it was him. You thought it was him, but it was not him. Yeah. But the point is, that is in our source material. But that's, that's what uh, Salman Rushdie is, is, uh, is addressing or is, is talking about as sort of like a, start, uh, a, a point in his, his book. The Sleeman Asadeen, I only know her through, through news stories about her. Uh, uh, but I don't know what specifically she's on the attack of, except it seems like she's on the attack of, of Muslim men or something. So I don't know if that answers your question or if you had, if you're speaking of something yeah. else. No, that that's great. Thank you. So uh, one more question I have is that you know you mentioned that um, there's some collection differences in the in the prophet when the the time come to become like a one mushaf. Uh, so just wondering that you know why prophet does not make sure that 
the final Quran has been between what we call Mabain and Dufatan, like in a book format, right? So, so he definitely doesn't put it into a book format, you know. But does he seem to, you know, speak of, you know, does he seem to recite something publicly um, that's the same? Yeah, that does. That seems to be uh, consistent. What he is teaching people individually uh, seems to have some of the variations. So imagine what uh, what Abdullah bin Masood has is not Quran, but just his notes of what the Prophet taught him. And so the Prophet taught him 112 surahs. Okay. But what is the Prophet reciting publicly in prayer and such? That seems to be consistent. And including, you know, ayahs that are, are brought in and ayahs that are removed, you know, um, it's the variation seems to be in what people have in terms of their own copies. See what I'm saying? Yeah, because like Jibreel recited like twice, right? In the last time, so that would be the authenticity. So that would be, that would be the authentic finalized Quran. But what I'm saying is that even if he only, he, if he taught this one passage to a particular companion, it doesn't seem to be the case that he is reciting that in public in Salah. Yeah. Any other questions? What I hope you get, from, what I hope you do get from all this is that it becomes, it makes it much more real world. Somebody else was just starting a question. No, I'm just, I'm just sorry about that. Um, what I'm saying that, you know, that, so that, that is still open the door of conflict right um, down the road because some of the companions come forward and says i i have this this portion of it right so i'm just thinking out loud right if you go back to that century and that that arena and then fast forward like 50 years or 100 years down then but it doesn't seem like we have companions ever doing that meaning the same right. source material that's saying all this mm -hmm. uh, the only thing that we have is Uthman says to the companions, all right, you got to burn what you have. And some of the companions didn't listen to that command. But uh, I don't recall of any narration where some companion comes along and says, you should have included this too. Okay. Thank you. All, all of this is coming from our source material. And, and so it would be fascinating if it included that, but it doesn't seem to have that. And the best work is, is awesome. Yeah, this is, um, um, I mean, so it's especially important to know this stuff because this is the stuff that the Islamophobes are, are grabbing onto, especially the Christian evangelicals among the Islamophobes. Yeah, this is not dinnertime conversation. If you go to dinner and say, yeah, we learned about, you know, these two surahs that are not part of the Quran. Yeah, see, see you know, what type of, you know, pieces of bread are thrown at your head. Any other questions about anything at all? But yeah, like I was saying, I hope this this makes it step by step. All these things much more real world. Is the belief that the Osmanic Codex is complete uh, a part of the required belief? Yes. For example, does one believe that one thirteen one fourteen are? Uh, uh, not this book one. Uh, yes, to both of your questions. Uh, that, yeah, you do have to, uh, in terms of textbook Sunni belief, you have to believe in the 114 surahs. Okay. Now, that's Sunni interpretation. Uh, suppose someone comes along and says, uh, I, for XYZ reasons, I only believe surahs 1 through 12, or 112, you know, then, you know, it's up to Allah Ta'ala. You know, there's a modern movement like this, the movement of Rashad Khalifa, who uh, his movement is called the Submitters. And he's the guy who really pushed the idea that the entirety of the Quran is based around the number 19. And with this spread, Ahmad Didat, he started talking about it. Those of you who, who, uh, who know Zakir Naik, his predecessor is Ahmad Didat, who is this guy from South Africa, Daisy from South Africa, super hard, hardcore debater. And he, uh, and so he started pushing this, and then this became legitimacy for us throughout the world. Look, it is a scientific miracle, the number 19, 
You, you know, the number of surahs in the Quran is a multiple of the number 19. The number of letters in Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim is a multiple of the number 19. But Rashad Khalifa is also, was also arguing that, uh, that Surah Tawbah has two ayahs that don't belong, that Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, stuck in there, you know, related to, you know, sending salawat on the Prophet, peace be upon him. And so he, because that didn't fit his, his numerology. And then when people started getting deeper and deeper into his ideas, they realized that, you know, it is a pretty cool thing that is true for a lot of Okay, can you hear me now? Okay, so so I don't know what was the last thing you caught from me. I was talking about Rashad Khalifa, who argued that the Prophet peace be upon inserted two ayahs in Surah Taba because that didn't fit his numerology. And and uh, the legend is that somebody killed him, but uh, he did get quite a bit of a following uh, among people in America in the late. Uh, or maybe it was like the uh, the the mid to late 1980s, and his ideas about the number 19 still float around periodically. But yeah, any other questions or thoughts about anything? Uh, so his name was Rashad Khalifa, and I think he was based in Arizona or something. So Ahant, this is unrelated, but do you think that the maintenance revival of Islam in America? will be done through the theological thought processes of the Sufis. I think in some uh, sectors of America, yeah. I mean, America is such a big, gigantic, complicated country that in some uh, some sectors, a straight, thick law approach is going to be more appealing for some people. For other appealing, it'll be the Sufis and other, another group of people. It'll be something more academic um, just because of, and I'd say that's even true just of Chicago alone, you know. In the same way that among the Sahaba, we had very, very different personalities. So we had some Sahaba that were regarded as the fuqaha of the Sahaba. They're the ones that understand the law and such. And then those that were more reflective and meditative, the fuqara of the Sahaba. And then there are those who, that would spend the entire day, you know, with the Prophet, peace be upon him, who did not have any wealth, but would spend the entire day in learning. And so one of, uh, another one of the big blessings of our tradition is how different all these different companions were, as opposed to being the board from Star Trek. Star Trek was this TV show that we used to have back when we had TVs. I don't know if you've ever heard of a TV. Any other questions about anything at all? So uh, I'll look for Surat al-Khal, and, and so you can explore it as something that didn't make the cut in a, into the Quran. No other questions or thoughts? And again, this is not dinner time conversation. Be very wary of with whom you share this. But like I said, the big thing I hope is that uh, this enhances a real world sense of what was taking place uh, in the generation of the prophet, peace be upon him. Otherwise, we will stop right here. Oh, the next big question, um, two things. So Ahmed Abzal's class. Uh, uh, so uh, I will, uh, if you have sent me your email and you didn't receive an email from me super late last night, send me another email so I can send you the details. Again, the class starts on Saturday, inshallah, at 11 o'clock. And that Google document, 
will have uh, the, the email login and password uh, info. And then the other question is, yeah, uh, I'm thinking, what if we move the class to one hour later? So to six o'clock Chicago time instead of five o'clock. Is there anyone for whom that does not work? Who would like to continue? Malahat is saying that does not work for you or that does work for you? <laughs> it works for me. Okay. Anyone else? Is six o'clock good? Okay. Then starting tomorrow, inshallah, we will move to six o'clock Chicago time. So one hour later. All Zoom information will be exactly the same. But 6 p.m. Chicago time instead of 5 p.m. inshallah. Alrighty, we'll stop right here. And we have uh, a little bit more related to the question of abrogation, but we've already talked about the big issues. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. May Allah tell the word you all, inshallah. Wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alam.